Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Brute force. If it doesn't work. You're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Software Radio. Software Radio on time, on target. I'm your host this afternoon, Steve Balistrieri. Joining us today, we have a very special guest with us, Spencer Corson. Spencer Steve. is an inter- internationally recognized threat management specialist, and we're going to get into what that all means. And he's just written, 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 he just wrote a book called The Safety Trap and Security Professional Secrets for Staying Safe in a Very Dangerous World. And we're going to get into that. But before we do, Spencer, welcome to the podcast. Excuse my uh, lack of English knowledge there. And uh, thanks for joining no, us Steve, today. And we appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. I, uh, it's a true pleasure to be here. For a second, I thought you were going to go with the international man of mystery uh, description. <laughs> I was like, oh, going Austin Powers on me. Going Austin Powers. Yeah, no, uh, no I, I figured, you know, that might embarrass you a little bit. But uh no, you, you've you've worked uh, as a professional security specialist, which you know, and we'll get into that in a little bit. What a lot of people consider bodyguard, but that's just a very small portion of what it is that you do. But tell uh, our listeners a little bit about who you are, and uh, you know about your book. Sure, absolutely. So my name is Spencer Corson. I am a threat management professional. I'm a founder. I'm the founder of Course and Security Group. And my new book is called The Safety Trap, which is all about protective strategies to help you live your very best life the safest way possible. 
I am a combat veteran. I served in the army. I was an airborne ranger with the 82nd, and then I served uh, in Afghanistan. And then I went to work for the government doing diplomatic security work, did that for a bunch of years, and then was uh, hired over by a private security firm out in Los Angeles, which at the time was considered to be the secret service of the, you know, of the private sector. Did that for a few years, um, went overseas and worked on Zero Dark Thirty. Originally, I was just over there as you know, doing some uh, security site work for the production company, but wound up getting brought on as a security and the military advisor. And then through a random turn of events, wound up getting cast as one of the SEALs in that raid. So if you happen to watch that movie and you see a dog jumping on and off of a helicopter, I am the handler at the other end of that leash. Um, when I came back, from, I did not know that that's really cool. Yeah. Which is why <laughs> even to this day, if you Google my name, it comes up as Spencer Corson actor, um, which is a lot of my friends like to bust me about that because, you know, you, you serve your country in combat, you save hundreds of lives, you, you assess and manage risks for thousands of people, but you star in one movie once you are forever an actor. Um, so I came back from, uh, from doing that and I was doing, a. I was doing a lot of work with, you know, movie stars and celebrities and athletes and actors and models and what have you. And then the tragedy at Sandy Hook happened. And, you know, both of my parents were teachers. I have family and friends who, who teach and with all of them reaching out to me asking, are we next? What should we do? Is our school at risk? What, you know, this, that, the other thing. And in that moment, I kind of realized that, you know, my skill set was kind of being you know, leveraged for that, for that top 1%, but the other 99% of the world was, you know, at risk and could really benefit from, you know, sort of seeing things through my eyes, because while not everyone will know the luxury of having their own protective detail, every single one of us deserves to be protected. And so course and security group was born from there. We're a threat management firm. We provide you know, we help good people make bad things better, whether that's through threat assessment or protective intelligence or vulnerability reduction. We just come in and say, like, look, what is the most realistic risk you're most likely to face? And then what are the most effective safeguards we can put in place to keep that bad thing from happening? Now, that's not to say that I still don't work with with high end clientele, but my work with that high end clientele is also what allows me to do more pro bono consultation for um, at-risk youth and domestic violence organizations and intimate partner violence support and, you know, working with those organizations of, of charitable enterprise, which really don't have the funding or the resource to go out and hire someone like me or a, or, a, or, a, or, or my firm, but is still in need of that support. And the book is a continuation of that because this is really just a culmination of my 44 years on earth and my 20 years of protective, of protective practices of what are the most common safety traps that people get themselves into? What happened? How was it allowed to happen? And then here are a couple of protective strategies to keep it from happening to you. And then once I go through all of those, I provide, you know, four sections at the back of the book on those endeavors where we are most familiar, home, school, work, and life, so that you can conduct your own, uh, you know, your own personal threat assessment so that you can really, you know, play a, a part in mastering the strategies to keep you and your families protected. That, and that sums it up in a nutshell. It's a great book, by the way. I encourage all of our listeners and, and readers of softrep.com to check it out. Uh, you can find it on amazon.com and uh, definitely check this out. It's called The Safety Trap. And I, I liked what you wrote about because uh, I, when I saw the title, I was like, that's a curious title. And then you write in there that a safety trap is the false sense of security that occurs when fear has abated, but the risk remains. And I think that sums it up perfectly because all of us are guilty of that. You get into a routine, and then, which I call a rut, and then the next thing you know, that's when bad things can happen to us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we, we are emotional creatures. So many of our decisions are, are influenced by emotion. And I think you know, I think one of the reasons that anxiety over our inability to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe is at an all-time high is because our understanding of what it means to be protected is at an all-time low. It's very easy, and it's also very common, for safety and security to be 
used interchangeably as if they mean the same thing. And that can be a losing proposition because safety is ultimately a feeling. We feel safe, but security is a state of being. We need to be secure. Uh, so the best way to you know, envision this is to imagine an umbrella where the canopy, when it's, when it's opened up, is keeping the rain from falling down on us and being underneath that canopy keeps us keeps us safe. We feel safe being warm and dry underneath because we have faith and confidence in the security of the of the canopy doing its job. And when those two things are working in Congress, we feel protected because our expectation is in line with our with our state of uh, motion and then we feel good about it. But if we get so used to using that umbrella in an everyday, you know, drizzle or, or light downpour and expect it to work as effectively in a hurricane, and we go out there and you know, open up the umbrella and then it gets, you know, it flies away from us and we're standing there drenched. Well, all of a sudden we're like, hey, what happened? Like, this isn't supposed to happen. This thing is supposed to work for me. And, and the problem is, is that we have this expectation that when things are supposed to work, just because things work in one dynamic, that they're supposed to work in another dynamic. And when that happens, we can, you know, when we feel most safe, our vigilance has a tendency to go down, which means that our risk factor has a, has a tendency to go up. And in those unfortunate circumstances where that is happening, we are more likely to make decisions that are more aligned with being, being a victim rather than being protected. And so the safety trap is ultimately about how sometimes feeling safe is the most dangerous thing we do. Yeah, and another point you make in the book that I, I thought was uh, really, really good is that probably the most dangerous time at an event isn't at the beginning, it's at the end, especially if you're dealing with what you would consider, you know, A-list clients or be it, a, you know, a, a, a political uh, official or even a CEO of a, you know, Fortune 500 company. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's because, you know, when something happens, you know, when, when something happens, the reason that it almost happens at the end is because as an event is continuing, the window of opportunity keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And the confidence of the attacker keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And so that that most critical time frame is typically right at the very end, because if they don't do it, then they're never going to get the chance to do it. And so it's very easy for either protective professionals or or talent on stage or whoever's giving the speech or whoever to, as things are winding down, go, oh, wow, like nothing happened. This went really well. And again, that's a safety trap because you start, your fear is starting to abate, but the risk is still very present. And so I have this whole section in the book about how like it's not over until it's over. Because if, especially if you're on a protective detail, your job's not done until your principal is, is you know, home, safe, secure, and you're dismissed. Up until that point, it's all eyes, all hands on deck, all eyes on a swivel. And, you know, you got to really stay frosty out there because the absolute worst thing that you can do as a protective professional is get complacent. But that also holds true for you know, for us as, as individuals going, you know, to a concert or to a movie theater or to what have you, anyone who really wants to do harm, if they don't initiate that action at the very beginning, then the only other time that they're going to, you know, the most critical time, the next most critical time, I should say, is at the very end. And so it's very important that, you know, we don't live in fear, but we just sort of have this healthy sense of skepticism and this moderate dose of vigilance that we have a willingness to participate in our own protection so that we can ensure the certainty of our own safety. Right. And, and, you know, you talk about it and I'm not putting words in, in your mouth per se for the book, but you talk about, it's kind of almost like the law of the jungle. The people who are most prepared are going to be the least people, uh, uh, excuse me. Yeah. They'll least be the, le yeah. the least targeted people because you know, predators are out there. They're not going after, like you said in the book, the strong gazelle. They're going after the weak one at the end. And if somebody's not paying attention or they look distracted or they're staring at their phone while they're walking down a dark street, those are the people that are going to get attacked. 100%. The no regardless of circumstance or scenario, the number one most influential factor of target selection is likelihood of success. 
bad guys are just like the rest of us. They're just like the lions in the jungle. They're lazy. They want the biggest return on their investment for the least amount of work. And so if they can target one house and get some goods and valuables because they know they can get in and out with ease, that house is going to get targeted over the one that is promoting more of a protective posture and has security cameras and a beware of dog sign and what have you. Whatever you can do, you know that like old, old, what's that old joke where like, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. It's, <laughs> it's, it's very much like you don't, you don't need to be the, the, you know, the safest house on the block. You just can't be the most unsafe house on the block. You know, exactly. you don't have to be the most protective. You don't have to have this like military skill set and be, you know, a John Wick walking around the streets of New York. But you also don't want to be someone who is so reticent and demure and, you know, has their phone down and their sunglasses on and their earbuds in and, you know, is just all but like begging for someone to mug you. The more that you can promote your own protective posture, the less likely you are to be targeted by those with nefarious intent. Now, that's that's uh, that's great stuff. And I don't want to give too much of the book away because we want our readers and listeners to buy it. But I, I'm just going back and forth to it because. I may, as I was reading it, I was making notes and it's all, you know, it's all good stuff. It's all common sense stuff, but it's things that people don't normally think about. And I mean, we're all guilty of that, even in our own homes, because that's the place where we feel the safest, most secure. Once you get behind the doors of your own home, a lot of people, they kind of switch off and it's important to have yeah. security cameras and, you know, motion sensor lights that come on. Because you don't want to be that slowest gazelle in the jungle. Right. But also, like, just lock your front door because, like, 85% of home invasions are a direct result of the front door being unlocked. And, you know, my buddy Clint Emerson's got a, a great quote that, that he champions in, in, his, uh, in his books, which is basically that people who come during the day, by and large, are coming for your stuff. People who come at night are coming for you. And so one of the things that I have, and I have found more often than not that practice to be true because, you know, bad guys don't want to interact with, if, if I'm just, if my sole purpose is just to, you know, steal your TV and your jewels and your, your, your laptop and stuff, I have zero interest in interfacing with you. I don't want witnesses. I don't want you to try to stop me again, likelihood of sex, uh, likelihood of success being the most uh, influential uh, factor of, of target selection. But if someone is coming at night, that is typically going to be more indicative of um, a kidnap for ransom exploit or being taken hostage. I, I outlined that one scenario in the book where the, the bank manager's family is taken hostage mm -hmm. and then the bank manager comes in. And so it's very important that you know one of the biggest uh, security flaws or not security flaws necessarily, but one of the biggest vulnerability factors that I find when I assess residential security plans and especially the emergency response plans is that they will have all of these things, you know, they will have the five D's, but they don't really have a plan in place for what to do once someone is actually in the house. Are you going to are you going to go to the kids? Are the kids going to come to you? Are you going to try to get out of the house? Are you going to try to barricade yourself in a bedroom? Like, what is what is that defensive posture look like? Are you either going to stand and fight, or are you going to try to put as much time and distance between you and the threat as possible? And the thing is, is that you don't want to be deciding what you're going to do in that moment. You want to have the plan in place so that when moments matter most, you have a plan, you know where to go, you know what to do, you know how to get there. Absolutely. And uh, you, you just mentioned the five D's. And would you explain to our, uh, our listeners what the five D's are? Sure. So when you're talking about a security plan, the five D's, uh, number one is deterrence. And that is basically your house does not look like an easy target. The lawn is well-maintained. It has outside lights. There's cameras. There's a beware of dog sign. There's there's signs that the house is lived in and taken care of and that, you know, there's not five Amazon boxes, you know, piled up high with three newspapers rolled up in plastic on the front lawn. That's basically showing that no one's been there in a while. 
So the more that you can do to just sort of promote that protective posture of your residence, the less likely you are of that residence being targeted. And then the next D is detect. And that would be your security cameras or your early warning systems, or even your dog who is just going to bark when someone is on or near the property, because that helps to eliminate the, the anonymity of whoever would be targeting your house. Because the last thing somebody wants to do, even though we see it all the time, is someone like walk up to your house to steal a package and literally smile at the ring camera. The next one is uh, deny. And by deny, we basically mean like locking your door. You know, just making sure that the doors and windows are locked so that if someone, you know, just comes up because one one thing that and this was especially prevalent during, you know, before before, you know, the quarantine and COVID and everything is but one of the key ways that bad guys would target which houses were easy to exploit was around 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning. They would go around and start handing out um, menus or flyers or what have you. And they just put it on the door, put it on the door, put it on the door, put it on the door. Then they'd come back like two or three hours later and see which houses still had those flyers on the door. So then they'd come back the next week and they'd put a flyer on the door if that house had had one that was there three hours later. And not only would they put it on the door, but they would they would try the door. And if the door was unlocked, they would they was oh sorry accident you know and just and just pull it closed, put the menu back in the door, and just apologize to anyone who came out. And then if it was if that door was unlocked and the menu was still there three hours later the next week, guess whose house was getting targeted? Because <laughs> you didn't notice that your front door was just open. The thing is still there. I'm going to do a little bit of surveillance and then I'm going to take your stuff because now I'm just going to go on social media and see how much stuff you're oversharing and blah, 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 blah. So the fourth D is delay. And that would be if someone does try to like, so deny is the locks. But what del a delay would be like, do you have a, a secondary measure that would keep someone from coming through? And that can be something as simple as a chain on the door or a doorstop or some other factor that would sort of slow that person from, from coming in once they've done that initial breach, which also gives you the appropriate amount of time, ideally, to get to the next, to the, the fifth and final D, which is defend. And at that point, are you going to, you know, arm yourself uh, with, with a shotgun or with some other, you know, uh, weapon or improvised or otherwise? Are you going to get your family to a, to some kind of a safe room or put them in the bath? Or are you going to try to get out of the house and, and call 911 for support? But it's very important that you have those five Ds in place, because if you don't and you sort of just like have this overconfidence that your house is secure, once that chat, once that security is challenged, you may find yourself um, on on the losing end of a of a certain scenario. Uh, do we? I have actually have a, a pretty interesting anecdote about this. If 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 you if you can, sure, uh, absolutely. Give, give me a second. So, I and I do this all the time just to prove a point to people, and I and I've filmed it a couple times, and I've uh, I don't know if I if it's like going to get put up on YouTube, but I'm working on something for it. But basically, what it comes down to is. If I walk up to a random person in a parking lot, let's say they're outside of like a supermarket or something, and I walk up to them and say, hey, um, you know, we're doing interviews for a, for a game show. Is your house secure? And they're like, yeah, I locked the door before I left today. And I'm like, okay, great. Um, we put $1 million in a duffel bag in the upstairs bedroom of your house. We're going to give you 10 minutes. If you can get in and out of your house, get into your house, grab that money, get out of your house without anyone being the wiser, without breaking anything, that money is yours. Can you do it? And inevitably, the person goes, yes, yes, I can. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, what changed in that 15 seconds from your house being totally secure that you can absolutely get in and out in 10 minutes? And what changed is their vantage point. They initially were viewing their home security as the homeowner, but now with incentive, they are now looking at their house through the prism of a bad guy. And now they're thinking, well, you know, my, uh, my wife hates it when I stink up the, the guest bathroom downstairs. So she always cracks the window to, you know, air it out a little bit. Or when the kids come home from soccer practice, they don't really ever, you know, lock, you know, they don't ever shut the garage door. Like, like I tell them to, or, 
uh, you know, the, the patio door, it, it locks, but if you just kind of like jimmy it with a credit card a little bit, you can, you can, you can slide it right in or, you know, all the doors on the, on the first floor are locked, but you know, the second floor deck, that door is never locked. And so if I can just like jungle gym my way up there, I can, I can get in that way. And all of those ways that you would break into your house are the same way that a bad guy would break into your house. So one of the most effective things that everyone can do is just audit themselves with honesty. How would you break into your house? Because now that you know the realistic risks, you can put the most practical safeguards in place to keep that risk from becoming a reality. So don't just assume that your <coughs> house is secure. You know, make sure that your house is secure. Inspect what you expect because the more, like I said, that we participate in our own protection, the better we are at ensuring the certainty of our own safety. Yeah, it's funny because after reading that excerpt in the book, I did one of those mental things and I realized that my own, and I should know better. I mean, I'm, I'm not somebody who's, you know, just uh, some hayseed off the block. You know, I've, I've been in diff difficult situations before. I should know better. And I was severely lacking in a lot of those because like I could tell you right now that my front door of my house, even though everyone is home right now, is unlocked. You know, right. and, the, and, there, and there's no reason for it to be. I mean, there are <laughs> literally you can go to Home Depot and for thirty five dollars, get yourself an electronic lock where door you know closed equals locked. And you can have it so that it everyone has their own unique ID to get in so that. You know, if your pool guy you get wind up getting in a fight with your pool guy and the pool guy has a key to your house, you don't have to go through and rekey everything. You can just sort of delete his code from the system. Or if you want to know if like someone is, you know, you can audit your access control into your house if you're on vacation because, hey, you know, the, the nanny is only supposed to come on weekdays mm -hmm. between, you know, 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. So why is she... You know, why is her code being utilized on on Saturday at noon when the family's not there? And then you go, oh, OK. And then you look at the security cameras and you find out that she and her boyfriend are using your pool. There's so many things. you can, But again, if you if you're not doing that, if you're not auditing, if you're not inspecting what you expect, you're 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 vulnerable to those kinds of just everyday exploits, which could in the long run, you know, lead to something nefarious. But mm -hmm. The more we participate in our own protection, again, the safer we can all be. And I think what it ultimately comes down to is, you know, we just can no longer afford to live in a world where we simply hope that nothing will happen and then solely rely on the first responders to save us once something does. We need to, you know, everyday safety requires the participation of everyone. And like I said before, that healthy sense of skepticism and that moderate dose of vigilance are all most people you know, need to succeed in staying safe. Um, can I ask you a question? Sure. When, when, was the book what you thought it would be? Because I think one of the, one of the misrepresentations about the book, like if they just saw it on the shelf would be like, oh, I don't need like one of these like fear mongering, you know, there's, there's a, a murderer hiding in the shadows of, of, of every corner. But was that, is that what you i'm just curious what, from, be, what was your expectation i'll be perfectly honest i was worried that that's because of, of the title mm -hmm. i i was worried that that's what it was going to be now you know your publisher had gotten contact with us over here at soft rep and and they said oh you know you should talk to shane and uh and review his book and blah 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 and you know we got the email and I'll, I'll be honest, I was immediately a little bit biased against it because of the title. I was worried that that's what it was going to be, but it wasn't at all. You know, I, I thought it was a fantastic, as I said, it was a fantastic read. And it brings up a lot of really great points because not like you say in the book, not everyone is going to have a protective detail around them, but by using the same principles we can keep ourselves and our family safe when we go out because uh, there's a perception now, especially right now that our world is a lot more dangerous than it was maybe when, well, I'm a little bit older than you, but when we were kids and yeah. And I'm not so sure that that's the case. I, 
I mean, look, outside of mass violence being at an all-time high, <clears throat> the crime rate is at an all-time low. Like, food is at, like, you know, food abundance is at an all-time high. Life expectancy has never been longer. Medical advancements have never been greater. Technology has never been more innovative. Um, you know, like crime rates down, life expectancy is up. Like if you could be born at any other time in human history, like right now would be the greatest time to be alive. But because we live in such a safe society, we the need for us to participate in that safety is at an all-time low because things so rarely happen that we can just, we just have sort of fallen into this, you know, I don't want to, you know, the, we've sort of fallen into this safety trap where we expect safety to be a deliverable. We expect safety to be as certain as when we turn on the faucet, water comes out or that, you know, even when something bad does happen, it's going to be so short term that, you know, it will get immediately resolved. You know, just you know, a couple of months ago here in Texas, we had that, that power outage and mm -hmm. the number of people who just like could not survive for 24 hours without, you know, power was devastating. Like they just had no, no resolve, no, no, no backup generators, no spare heaters, no extra food, no extra water, just like the basic practicums that most people should employ on an everyday basis. So that in the event that, you know, something bad does happen, that your life is is disrupted, but it's not destroyed. And I think that, you know, and it's yes, you're right. It's easy to think that we live in such a dangerous world because it used to be like when when we were kids, that if something bad happened, you heard about it one time on the six o'clock news and then you never heard mm -hmm. about it again. Maybe, you know, the barbershop or the corner bar or the mom group talked about it, but it wasn't as pervasive throughout society. But today, when something bad happens, it's a 24-hour news cycle. And so you're hearing about that one bad thing a thousand times that day from every vantage point, from every talking head, from, you know, from Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and social media and everything. And so your mind doesn't really know how to comprehend that you're not hearing about a hundred things. You're hearing about one thing a hundred times. And then you know, of course, the news kind of sensationalizes and and social media kind of aggregates anger and hostility and angst because, you know, read a Yelp review. The longer the re the, the review, the, typically the worse the review is because if someone had a great time at the restaurant, they're going to go, love it, highly recommend. But if it's a bad review, it's typically going to start off with, well, it was supposed to be a lovely evening for me and my wife and it turned into, <laughs> you know. And it's just like, oh, dear God, please. But, you know, but then that people want to respond to that because what are you talking about? I've had, I had nothing but, and then it goes back and forth and back and forth. And it's just like, oh, geez. And so, and I, and I kind of talk about this in the book too, about like alert fatigue or, you know, information overload or, you know, knowing that, you know, I think it's uh, in the, uh, the false authority section where, you know, just because you hear something doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Like your mechanic is great at fixing your car, but your mechanic should not like the expertise of your mechanic should not also go over into fly fishing or on how to make a great souffle or on how to, you know, jumpstart your Traeger grill, you know, just like I wouldn't go to my financial planner on how to fix my brakes. Like, so it, you know, just because your, your, your buddy's dad has, you know, a charter boat doesn't mean he's an expert in scuba diving. You know what I mean? But, and so people try to use these, you know, whether it's like celebrities endorsing products or, you know, the supermodel who's using that lipstick was already pretty damn good looking before she started using <laughs> that lipstick. Right? She doesn't need that lipstick to be good looking. No. Just, and so, and, you know, but it's very easy to, to take that parallel that if you start using this lipstick, you can be beautiful just like her too. The reality is, no, you can't. Yeah. I can, I can wear the, the Rock's headphones, but guess what? I don't look like the Rock when I'm done working out just because I was wearing his headphones. <laughs> Yeah, I have was, one of the Rock's workout shirts from Under Armour. So, uh, but I don't look like him when I'm finished. So do I. And when I take that shirt off, I don't look like the Rock in the mirror. Nope. And not when I get it on either. <laughs> <laughs> but we can but, pretend. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know, it's funny because uh, a lot of people 
you know, and I, you talk to people, and uh, and I, you and I talked about this offline. Uh, we're going to get, you know, they they believe that if there's more, perhaps, quote unquote, security around them, they feel safer. And you mentioned in the book, uh, and you said you weren't picking on them, but you just happened to come across something for Gillette Stadium. And I told you I had a lot of experience with that because, uh, you know, as a as a journalist, I covered the New England Patriots and I was down there and I talked to people that were there and other media guys or, you know, fans that happened to be there. And they talked about, man, they have all this security around here and nothing's going to happen here. And you want to say, look, uh, these guys are fifteen dollars an hour. You know, guys, they're, they're watching what's going on more on the field than they are what's going on around them. And they're not trained to pick up on the nuances of what might happen before it does. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, they're not, they're not security trained at all. In fact, and I don't have the book in front of me, but the qualifications, I'm pretty sure, were like, you can work 10 hours, you're comfortable <laughs> Stand on standing, your on your, standing on your feet, <laughs> and you can take instruction. Like, no, you don't have to have a guard card. You don't need to have, like, been a veteran. You don't need to have been out of the military or have, like, police training or be first responder certified or have an EMT license or even have, like, just basic first aid CPR certification. It's literally, are you over 18? Can you stand on your feet for 10 hours? Are you okay making $12 an hour? Those are the qualifications. And those qualifications may make someone perfectly capable of tearing your ticket in half and saying, have a great day, or of showing you where the bathrooms are or pointing you to, hey, do you know where the 400 section is? Can just basically point you in a general direction. But those people would not, should not be the ones who are, you know, issuing instruction if there's like a mass casualty event or if there's real trouble. They are great at maybe getting the real police to help or to calling in additional support. But to say that they are security is, is really a, a misnomer. And, you know, I would love for those 
those staffers to be called ambassadors or liaisons or some other non-security related dynamic. But the problem is, is that the people who are drawn to those kinds of jobs are the kind of people that want to have that cachet of saying that they're, you know, no one wants to say, oh, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm spending the day being a ambassador for the Patriots. They want to say, oh, I'm working security for the Patriots because, you know, that kind of makes them sound cool mm -hmm. to their friends. And the reality is that that winds up doing more harm than good because in those moments, I mean, which is why you always see at every football game or especially the Super Bowl. What do you see after every Super Bowl game is how many people breach security and got selfies with famous people or who snuck up to the owner's box or what have you. And it's because as long as you're just like acting like you're supposed to be there, you can bypass most $12 an hour security guys because they're, they don't have any investment in, tell, in, in getting outside of their lane. Because if someone's looking like they're supposed to be there, they are probably of an upper echelon than they are. And they don't want to lose their job. They have no, in, in, and they also have a built in excuse. I'm just a $12 hour security guy. Like, what do I know? And mm -hmm. so it's one of those things where you could literally do less with more for the same price. You could, instead of hiring like five, $10 an hour guys, you could hire one $50 an hour person to do that same role. And they would do it much more effectively because a $50, $50 an hour protector is going to be well-trained, is going to have, you know, no problem being disagreeable, is going to ha probably have a higher level of education and emotional intelligence and, and a million other things. But the, that same person is also not going to uh, wear a yellow jacket emblazoned with security on the back because <laughs> they have too much self-respect. Yes. But, you know, but we um, also see this with, I'm sorry, man, but, uh, but we also see this with, um, you know, just going into supermarkets or grocery stores or, or what have you, where we see, you know, the, this premises is under 24 hour surveillance. And then we, we look up and we see the, you know, the security cameras facing out and we walk inside and we see the, the guard and then we go further inside and we see the turnstiles that are like the anti-theft devices. And then we look up and we see the bubbles on the, on the ceiling and we're like, wow, man, this place really takes their security very seriously. But those cameras aren't there for your safety. Those, those cameras are there to keep the product safe. You know, mm -hmm. so like, it's kind of like the ring camera at your, at your front door. That ring camera is to keep you protected, not to keep the mailman safe. So just because you see all of these security features out and about, like understand that whatever, whoever implemented a security practice, that was there to protect the person who implemented it. It's not there to protect you. So anytime you're out there and you see these security features in place, kind of treat it like if you saw like a celebrity with a bodyguard, just because there's security nearby doesn't mean they're there for you. Exactly. And you know, um, one of the things that I, I found uh, very intriguing in the book was you're not a big fan of lockdown drills. And um, could you fill yeah, in our listeners a little bit about that? Well, I, yeah, I don't want to say I'm, a, I'm not a fan of lockdown drills because there are times when lockdown drills are very effective. For example, what I'm not a fan, however, is run, hide, fight. I think run, hide, fight is the dumbest thing in the world. Now, mm -hmm. okay. What's the difference between when you shelter in place and when you, when you evacuate, you evacuate when there is a threat inside the building, mm -hmm. you shelter in place when there is a threat outside the building. So shelter in place is great for like hurricanes and tornadoes and, you know, um, where things outside of your protective entity could like high winds, falling trees, lightning, things like that. You want to be inside for those. You want to shelter in place. You want to lock down because you're secure and that way you can keep everything that's bad from happening on the outside. So let's say you're a, a school and the cops are getting in a gunfight with someone who tried to rob the bank down the street. You're going to want to initiate a lockdown for the school so that the kids don't go out and get hit in crossfire. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But if that armed robber, then, you know, bypassed the police and ran into the school and started taking people hostage. You don't then want to lock down the school because the bad guy is already inside. At that point, you would initiate an evacuation protocol and you would want to put everyone, you want to give everyone as much time, distance, you know, put as much time and distance between them and the bad guy as possible. 
you you've been to Sears school. You understand, mm-hmm. you know, uh, survive, escape, resist, um, escape, survive. Well, I got that wrong, didn't I? Survive, <laughs> escape, resist, not survive, evade, evade. Sorry, why was it? Yeah, total break. Resist sorry, and man. escape. Yeah. Escape. <laughs> so that's where it's been a few years whole, for both of us. Oh, dude. <laughs> But that's where, like the the initial, like the initiation of run, hide, fight came from military application. Where if you're a a pilot or a special operator, you know, caught behind enemy lines and you're taken prisoner of war and you're able to escape, you're going to run. You're going to put as much time and distance between you and the bad guys as possible. You're going to evade and try to get away. And then if you get so tired that you can't keep running, you're going to hide. You're going to camouflage yourself. You're going to regain your strength and your energy so that you once you are recuperated, can keep running. And then if you are uh, reconfronted by the enemy, you're going to fight like your life depends on it because it absolutely does. Now, that is a great framework and mindset and tactical application for a soldier. And it's even a good one for an individual. But it is horrible as a collective because what ultimately run, hide, fight has become is run to your hiding spot. And that is not what it was intended to do. And, but this happens because schools care more about accountability than they do about survivability, which is why, you know, that old, and I talk about this in the book, like that whole, that old, like, you know, the cold war kids were hard to kill under their desk in an air raid drill, like Mm -hmm. being under your desk in an air raid drill is going to do nothing to save your life. But what it will do is allow the school to cross-reference the seating chart with the central office to know who it was that was dead underneath that desk. And so you know, but not only that, like, which is harder to hit the kid who's hiding, you know, coward and crying in the corner of a classroom, or the one who's putting as much time and distance with each step they take away from the bad guy, many of whom, like, aren't even targeting them, because schools are all these like pockets of, you know, of protection or workplaces or offices or all of these, you know, these, you know, isolated pockets of protection. And so like, if the initiation of violence breaks out, like, that's your best time to flee. Get away, get out, run, run as far and as fast as you can, because, you know, bullets travel through doors and bullets travel through windows. And it's not like classrooms are like hard centers, like watch a John Wick movie and watch how easily a bullet rips right through a door or a pane glass window or what have you. And, you know, there's this cottage industry that kind of popped up about like, you know, here's 15 ways to use your belt buckle to like secure a door, but literally right behind the guy is a first floor window. Like mm-hmm. go that way, climb out, get away. You know, a, 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 a fire in a building is just as dangerous and unpredictable as an active shooter, but we would never hide from a fire and hope it doesn't find us. We would run. And I think that parents and teachers and family and friends really need to understand that when people who are not trained protectors are telling you what to do to protect yourself. You really need to think long and hard about is what they're doing in your best interest or in theirs. It's a great point. At the, at the end of the book, um, you have some residential and school security um, workplace safety checklists and could you talk a little bit about those as well? Because I think those were really, really good. And again, it's it's all stuff that I think that people can, you know, integrate into their own homes and personal security. Yeah. So the way that I framed the book was that I, I used real world scenarios that either I had helped to manage or that were are kind of like the the staple anecdotes of 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 the protective industry that serve as sort of a you know the 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 Rosetta Stone for why we do what we do. And what I do is I basically show, hey, look, here's what happened. Here's how it was allowed to happen. Here's your protective takeaway, and here's five things that you can do to keep this bad thing from happening to you. And I outline sixteen of these safety traps, everything from avoidance and complacency to overprotecting our children, to oversharing on social media, to the importance of physical fitness, to the importance of not being you know, overconfident. Then once I talk about those 16 safety traps, I provide uh, a case study and I provide an overview of what threat management really is. And then once you have those things in place, you're right. I provide personal threat assessment checklists for, for home 
school, work, and life. Because what I want everyone to be able to do is not say, okay, now that I have all this information, like, what do I do with it? I wanted them to say, okay, now I have all this information and here is what I do with it. So you can literally read this book and then pick up the, the, go to the, the school chapter or go to the home chapter. And I'm going to tell you a story. And then I provide 25 um, questions. I, here's, here's the question we're asking. Here's why this question is important. And here's how you want to answer this so that you can ensure the certainty of safety for everyone involved. And whether that is about, you know, does your home have, like I talk about like the FOIL method for how to conduct a home security assessment. Just everyone remembers FOIL from math class, first outers, inners, last. <laughs> Do it, conduct a home security assessment the same way. What are my first impressions? What are the outsides tell me about this house? What are the insides tell me about this house? What are my lasting impressions? Because then, and, it, and you can make this like a family event because the more eyes, the more vantage points, the more insights, the more takeaways that you have on something like that, the more effective you can be. Do you have your name on your mailbox? Why? Is it, it's, yeah, it's great for its vanity, but you know, maybe the person who is looking to stalk or target you and knows generally the area you live, now you've just told them exactly where you live. Uh, things with work, like when was the last time your office had a security assessment done? Who did it? What were the recommendations? What recommendations were implemented? Why weren't other, why were these uh, security recommendations implemented over these other security recommendations? Same thing with schools. Like what is the difference? Like when you're talking about the difference between when to shelter in place and when to evacuate, who is the decision maker for that decision? What, what, what is their training? What dictates how they're going to do it? When, you know, is there a threat management program? Is there a school resource officer? It, does the school care about more about, you know, just sort of checking the block or are they interested in, you know, having the parents or the PTA or the school board get more involved in those decision-making process. You know, so many parents are are so concerned about their children's safety, but then on the flip side are just equally pacified by being told that everything is being done to keep their children safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the more parents ask the hard questions of those decision-makers, the more, especially after they've read this book, the more informed they will be to know if those are the best decisions possible because an informed society is a safer society because the more insight, the more intelligence, the more background and the more, you know, understanding of nuance we are, the more informed of a decision we can make and the better that decision, those decisions will be about ensuring the certainty of our safety. But if we just, you know, choose to shirk our responsibility and, and, you know, pass that burden on to another, more often than not, that burden is just going to get, you know, reallocated to someone else. And it's going to be a, you know, a pass the buck down the lane. And then everyone is basically playing a game of musical chairs when what they could have been doing is making sure that everyone had a chair in the first place. Absolutely. And, and even somebody like yourself, somebody made the, <laughs> The poor oh, God, judgment oh, yeah. of trying to break into your own home. Yeah. Just I about mean, a month ago. <laughs> literally a month ago. And here's the thing is that like I had just done this uh, podcast with uh, Andy Murphy, who's who's like the secure dad. He's got a podcast. The secure dad's great. Check it out. He's got a book on Amazon. And he and I had just spent like an hour going through like all of these like home security safety tips and, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what should you do, what works for you. And then I had posted my own uh, uh, content on um, on my YouTube channel. I, I have a, a podcast as well, talking about uh, home security strategies. And then that Monday night, I go to bed like around midnight, and you know, one ten in the morning, my dog just goes woof, woof, like just like he's <laughs> he goes from zero to hero, and I'm like, what is going on? I sit because you know, typically he's the kind of dog that like like hmm. And, you know, and then, then he puts his head back down, and goes back to sleep. But this was a time where he was just like, oh, something's going on and I want Adam. So I, I sit up and I can see like through the corner of my window that um, the outside motion lights are on. 
So I look over at my phone and I, it's just full of security alerts. And then I look at my watch and it's motion back door, motion back door, motion back door. And I'm like, ooh, here we go. So I, I keep a, like a Remington 870, right, right, uh, a tactical shotgun right by my bed. And uh, I don't have a wife or kids. So it's, it's the only other person that would possibly uh, get in the way of that weapon is Ronan. And he doesn't have opposable thumbs. So I'm fairly safe, uh, fairly certain to say. <laughs> anyway, I haven't gone from a dead sleep to armed and ready that fast since uh, like the sandbox. And uh, it was one good to know that I still had that skill set, and two uh, kind of scary that someone, cause like I had said before, if someone comes at night, they're typically coming for you. And I pull up the security camera on my phone and I see that the guy is, uh, he had already tried the front door and was coming around the back to go through uh, the fence off my driveway that would lead to the back door. So I let Ronan out the back door so that he can catch the guy if he gets through the fence. And I kind of circle around to go out. I flank around the front door so that I can catch him in a, in a turkey shoot between me and Ronan. And uh, I was like a couple seconds too slow because the time, by the time I had come outside the front door, the guy Ronan was so effective at scaring the guy off that he had taken off running. <laughs> but when I talk about the, those, those five D's for home security, and I talk about the delay, the, the D for the delay, what actually wound up saving that bad guy's life was that when Ronan was about six months old, he was big enough and strong enough that he could push the fence open. And so what I had done was just put a couple bungee cords across the fence to keep it from swinging open if he, if he tried to push it. So it wasn't just a matter of like the simple latch. The guy had undone the simple latch and he had undone one bungee cord and was working on the second when Ronan came bounding around the corner to get him. Wow. And then he took off running as I was running towards the front door. He was just a little, he was motivated to move a bit faster than I was. And, uh, and uh, he was off the property. But, you know, sometimes it's those really simple safeguards that are the most effective. But again, it's all about participating in your own protection. I had a plan. I knew what I was going to do. I knew how I was going to get there. I knew, you know, I had the the cameras and the lights and the wherewithal and the training and the resources and the and the and the willingness to participate in my own protection. But, you know, like what if I hadn't? And what if that guy did get into the house? And, you know, like that that I reported it and so did my neighbors and you know that guy wound up getting arrested like about 90 minutes later about half half a mile down the street like coming off of someone else's property because he was you know homeless and had a drug problem and it was typical drug seeking behavior he was going to look for things he could you know snag and and steal and then also hit like the medicine closet to see if there were like you know drugs he could take or what have you but you know it's also a concern because when I live in a safe area, I live in a, I live in a nice neighborhood. And to think that, you know, even someone like me with the, the, but like people who are making those kinds of decisions don't always think rationally. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, you know, how there's like those, those tenets of leadership where you want to anticipate the needs of others. Sometimes staying safe is about anticipating the idiocy of others. We do it when we drive, we do it when we're, you know, in our cars. And we, the more that we can adopt that same framework of understanding of not being scared, not being fearful, but just kind of having that healthy sense of vigilance to be like, hey, what is this guy doing and why is he doing it? That's not right. If this breaks bad, what am I going to do? So that, you know, we can participate in our protection when when moments matter most. Yeah, and uh, we you know, Spencer, we we want to thank you for taking the time with us this afternoon. Spencer's book is called The Safety Trap. Um, he also has a great podcast, in which we just uh, mentioned a few minutes ago, called Corson's Corner. I encourage all of our listeners to check that out. There's some great stuff in there. You know, I was going to ask you what's maybe the weirdest thing that you'd ever experienced with one of your, uh, say, celebrity clients, but then it was kind of blown out of the water because I was watching the news the other night and I saw a guy and I was like, I hope uh, he wasn't a celebrity because if he had some security, it would have been really difficult. Got swallowed by a whale off the coast of Cape Cod. I don't know if you just, I, I did. I did. He was like, and all of a sudden it all went dark. 
Yeah. And then uh, I was like, dude, what is this? Like a, like a Pinocchio reference? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I was thinking, I mean, can you imagine? Uh, like, yeah. He was like, what would you do if you're, if, if you're I that guy? I don't know. You know what I mean? But I mean, I guess, you know, thankfully he didn't taste too good because, yeah, you know, they, the, uh, they spit him out. But yeah. But can yeah. you imagine just like swimming and then all of a sudden you're in a whale's mouth? Like, <laughs> oh, man, I can't imagine. Like, what would you do? Yeah, because it, it brought me back. I, I worked for a short time for a family that was very wealthy. And the the dad was getting up there in years, and he, but he loved to swim. And we were uh, off the coast of Africa. And, you know, he wanted to swim in the ocean. So I said, well, I'm going to swim with you. And that brought me back. I mean, what if a whale comes up and swallows yeah. the dad? I mean, what are you supposed to do at that point? I, I don't think... Uh, any of us ever envisioned anything like that before? Yeah, I, it's not like your security detail is going to be putting like a humpback whale in a rear naked choke, you know, to, uh, <laughs> you know, they, like, what are you going to arm bar the guy? Like, you know, there's no yeah. like tactical disarming technique there. I mean, no. And by the 12 ton you know, whale, I don't think you can get your arms around his no, neck. No, so, no, no. Yeah. yeah. But again, yeah, I don't even like, can you really even argue like awareness at that point? Because like, are you really expecting a whale to just like come out of the, uh, it just, yeah, it just shows <sighs> how anything can happen. So, yeah. Well, here's the thing is that <clears throat> it's not so much about like worrying about the improbable as it is about like paying attention to the possible. Like right. I am not worried about an alien invasion. I am worried about the homeless problem in Austin. So kind of like tend to the part of the garden you can touch. And, you know, put your faith and confidence in, in that everyone else is doing the same. And hopefully that halt, that entire garden can get tended. But just saying that you're not going to tend to your part of the garden because you can't touch the whole thing is, is just a recipe for disaster and is, you know, not doing your neighborly duty or your citizenry or, or what have you. So do what you can start small, build strong, read this book, you know, come for the story, stay for the lesson master the strategies to keep you and your loved ones protected. And, uh, you know, I really hope that this book, I did not want this book to be like scary or fear mongering. I really wanted this book to be a, a resource guide and, a, and a helpful manual and an entertaining read so that you can live your very best life, the safest way possible. And Steve, I can't thank you enough for having me on. This is a great conversation. I would love to have you on my own podcast. I would love to come back on yours. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all of your support. Oh, anytime. Uh, it's been fun. I mean, like I said, uh, it's a great resource, as you just said. For our uh, readers out there, definitely check it out. And Spencer's book's called The Safety Trap. You can find it on Amazon.com. It just came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, hopefully, we're going to see it on that New York Times list and uh, – you know, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, by the time your next book comes out, if there is one, we'll have you back on the podcast. We'll talk about that. And, you know, we'll uh, we'll we'll definitely uh, have some better stories to talk about. But his yeah, your book. And I want to reiterate this to all our listeners. Uh, Spencer's book is filled with some of his own experiences. And it talks about how these practical applications can be used. And we encourage all of our uh, readers and listeners out there to do that. But before we, we go any further, just wanted to read a quick note. If you want to get SoftRep on your phone, download our free mobile app and get easy access to our articles, podcasts, gear reviews, all perfectly formatted to your device. Please subscribe to SoftRep.com to get access to our library of eBooks and our exclusive team room forums and content available on all your apple and android devices spencer thanks once again this was a lot of fun i definitely would love to have you back on again steve thank you so much man really really great all really right appreciate you the soft rep community thank you so much okay and for all of us here at softreprepradio.com uh, and the podcast thanks for listening soft rep radio on time on target we'll be back with another podcast real soon been listening to Soft Rep Radio. From BBC Radio 4, 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 